Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting with me, I'm SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual conversation with other hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, joy, and enthusiasm of podcasting. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and then make their existing projects better. That's why we call it Better Podcasting. It's our hope that bringing on new voices from hobby and passion podcasting spaces with different viewpoints will help others just as much as listening to Stephen and myself. And that's why I'm doing this show, Better Podcasting Chats with SP. I want to send a thank you to Daniel Smith from Coffee and Space Podcast for joining me in the previous chat. You can check Daniel out and his podcast at coffeeinspacepodcast.com. Now, to demonstrate the space that is hobby or passion podcast, for the next few moments, I'm going to talk about my passion, and that's space. So in the past week, SpaceX dismounted Starship Booster 7 from the orbital launch mount in Boca Chica, Texas, but it remains on the transporter stand in the launching area of Starbase. SpaceX continues preparations for the Starship orbital flight test pending FAA certification. This is really exciting to me because it's the biggest rocket ever. On the NASA side of the house, Crew-5 returned to Earth from the International Space Station on Saturday, March 11th, on board the SpaceX Dragon capsule named Endurance, after 157 days on orbit. And in exciting news, NASA plans to announce the crew of Artemis II on April 3rd. This will be the first people to fly around the moon since Apollo 17 in December 1972. And as I record this tomorrow, March 15th, 2023, NASA is going to go live and demonstrate the spacesuits for the Artemis program, which have not been unveiled yet. In the new rocket side of the house, Relativity Space has had two consecutive aborts with its entirely 3D printed, well, 80% 3D printed Terran rocket this past week. They're still evaluating options to launch it in the near future. This will, again, be the world's first 3D printed rocket. In my other podcasting on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., the agents and I reviewed Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in episode 464, which is available now, so go check that out. Stephen was sick last week, so he implored me to do a solo Better Podcasting live chat, and that is now available for download or viewing as Better Podcasting live chat episode 45. And over on my side gig slash moonlighting, for now, on the Strange New Worlds fan cast, it continues as Shannon, Jake, and I cover the Picard final season three episodes. This is completing the opening story arc after four episodes. And now we are looking forward to really delving into the mysteries as the Star Trek Next Generation crew brings their on-screen journey to a close. Yes, all geeky stuff, but that's who I am. Now, for the next hour, I'm chatting with a podcaster with a passion for cuddling. Felicity is the host of Pro Cuddle Hustle. It's a show in which a professional cuddler talks all things relating to sex work. Felicity is involved in volunteering with Rad Mission Neighbors and Swap Behind Bars, and she's been involved with St. John's Infirmary and Bay Area's Worker Support. Welcome to the chat, Felicity. Thank you so much for having me, and I would like to make a teeny correction. It's pronounced St. James Infirmary. St. James Infirmary. Yeah. I wrote that wrong down in my uh, show notes. So my apologies. It's all right. What happens with that St. James Infirmary? 
So St. James Infirmary was started in the 90s by someone named Margot St. James, and it's the first infirmary in the U.S. created by sex workers for sex workers. I don't know if there are any similar infirmaries in other states, but Margot St. James was a huge pioneer, and I'm very grateful that she did what she did when she was still alive. Sounds pretty cool. I just watched a Nova episode on the start of the AIDS pandemic, which was epicentered around San Francisco. So a lot of that stuff happened in the 80s and 90s around there. So really applaud you for all your, your work that you do for volunteering and uh, making it safer for people there. So what inspired you to start podcasting? Oh, I don't really remember what podcasts I was listening to in 2019, which feels like a lifetime ago. But 2019 is when I started. And when I started, I was only on YouTube and SoundCloud. But shortly after, I said I need to take this more seriously. And so I signed up on a distributor website, Buzzsprout. I know there are similar websites like Audio Boom, but I only have experience with Buzzsprout. I'm very happy with that distributor. I have no desire to switch to another platform or to, I guess, moonlight on a second platform. I've had the personal experience to try out several. Ellipson uh, is my first one, but I've also been trying out Pinecast for this particular show. And I am doing some moonlighting on another podcast and they're using Podbean. So I've got to uh, check that out as well. I've been invited on a couple other services, but I just haven't had the time to check them out. I have met the Buzzsprout people at Podcast Movement in 2021, and they are engaged in the space. So I can say that they're a podcast media host that is worthy of consideration. Of course, they all have bonuses and detriments to them, but Buzzsprout seems to be a very popular one. So I think you chose wisely, depending on what your goals are. Thank you. I have not ever heard of Pinecast before. I'm familiar with Lipson and the other ones you mentioned, but I've never heard of Pinecast. Yeah. I mean, there's Transistor, there's Simplecast, there's just tons of them out there. Pinecast is a relatively like indie one. They don't have IAB accredited statistics, but they're really low cost. I, I got grandfathered in on like the $5 a month plan. I can have as many episodes as I want. That's good. Yeah, I know. As many episodes and as many shows as I want over there. There is the detriment. There is the statistics, which are not industry standard. And then there is the fact that they change the file name and uh, do stuff like that behind the scenes. But for this show, I'm like, I, it, it's worth trying out and seeing where it goes. And the one thing that I will say with any podcast media host, if they do not offer a 301 redirect, I would not use them because if you want to leave, that is the way you leave is you insert a 301 redirect. It's a techie thing. Most podcast media hosts have them, but if they don't, offer a 301 redirect, that would be the final go, no go and, and not do it because then you can't leave. You have to take all your episodes and re upload them and basically create a whole new RSS feed. And with podcasting, 
we could debate the definition between a show and a podcast and YouTube and and an actual podcast with an RSS feed. But in podcasting, the RSS feed is really king because that is your distribution. That's your radio channel, your TV channel that people can tune in to see it. So if you can't move that to a new channel and tell people that you're moving to a new channel using 301 redirect, then that would be like, no. Pinecast offers it, so I'm not in any threat of losing my show on it. So I can always move it off, but I've been enjoying it so far. That's good. So I'm a writer. In my mind, I was thinking you're for podcasting, the RSS feed is like the what do you call it? The IB number in books. Oh yeah. You know how every single book has its own unique code? It's kind of like a electronic devices IP address. I hope these analogies are making sense or metaphors. Yeah, close enough. I forget the exact thing, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about because every book that's on Amazon that you buy has some sort of a, a code on it that's individual to the book. Yeah, it's kind of it, except for with an RSS feed, you can follow it or subscribe to it depending on your vernacular. And that means that if somebody wants to listen to your next episode, it will automatically download to their podcatcher. That's the difference. Uh, mm-hmm. IAB number. I'm trying to remember the X. Now, now I got to look that up afterwards. But that number with books is like IBDN, I believe. Now it's coming back to my mind. Solely. ISBN. ISBN. I should probably <laughs> know this because I'm a writer. Yeah. That's just one book. It's not, hey, give me that number and then I'll get everything that you ever do in a blog or in another book or a, you know, a book series or something like that. Like Harry Potter. There's not one skew that works for the entire series unless you buy the entire series. It's probably a separate skew. So anyway, that's the difference between the two in in my mind. But again, kind of techie, but it is it does get to the heart of what a podcast is and how you can utilize it and grow it over time. The only reason why I know what a skew is is because I used to work in retail. And so every single article of clothing would have its SKU number. So I'm imagining that people who don't work in or have never worked in selling textiles don't know what a SKU is, even though I'm sure SKU numbers exist in like electronics stores. When I was way back in high school, I worked in the summer as an inventory specialist with an inventory company. And I would go in with this, oh my gosh, it was huge. It was like wearing a boom box on your leg, basically, and it had a 10 key pad to it. And you would go from item to item and item, and you would actually type in the SKU number on the, the little code that's on every single item. You would type that in, and then you would type in how many, and then you would go to the next thing, next thing, next thing. So I got really proficient at what they call 10 key of just using the numbers to type stuff in. I think the summer that I quit, they transitioned to the scanners instead of the 10 keys. And then they fired like half their staff because they didn't need. Oh, them. hell no. Yeah. But we would have to go into stores like Target and Walmart overnight. They would close down back when they closed down. Cause I know some of them are open 24 hours when they would close down at like eight, nine o'clock, we would be in there until they opened the next morning at like eight o'clock in the morning. And we would just be doing inventory the entire night long. We also did smaller stores too, but the big box stores were ones that we brought every single team in and 
And we did it in just in one night. And it was a pain. And these stores actually had to do inventory in order to meet their compliance for either taxes or uh, just trying to balance their books or something, whatever. Anyway, it was something that stores actually paid a lot of people to do overnight. And uh, I learned uh, how to drink a lot of coffee back then, too. I'm so glad I never worked the graveyard shift when I worked in fast fashion. Yeah, it, it definitely, hmm. I mean, I know a lot of professionals do it. A lot of medical professionals do it, you know, emergency services professionals do it and that sort of thing. But that's just not me anymore. I'm just too old. I need my sleep. So talking about exciting stuff, what excites you about podcasting? We talked about what inspired you, but what excites you about getting behind the microphone? I want to say the freedom because podcasting, it's a juggernaut right now, but it's still in the wild, wild west stage. I think people of the future, they're going to look back on this era and be like, that was the wild west. And freedom does have a way of destroying things. Like there are so many great things that come with the freedom to say whatever. I love how this is like an open forum. But I'm pessimistic. I do expect there to be censorship in the future. And when we were corresponding over email, I recall saying that I really wanted to talk about my, how do I put it, my controversial opinions on the juggernaut that is the podcasting industry. And a part of me is like, in the future, am I going to be allowed to say these things? Because, yes, we all have freedom of speech. It's in the UN like human rights booklet. But we're able to have podcasts because of things such as Spotify and Apple. And all of these companies, I do believe, are located within the U.S. And the U.S., uh, we, privacy does not really exist in this country. It really doesn't. And it sucks how with online spaces, whether it's podcasting or social media, even if you live outside of the U.S., you're still subjected to follow a lot of American laws. And I do think since we're still in the Wild West stage that we should be using our platforms to speak up about things such as censorship because as fun as it is to you know turn on our microphones and talk about geeky i love geeky so much but as fun as that is we gotta also every now and then talk seriously like hey this is what's going on in the podcasting world it's not that pretty but we need to discuss it so you're right. A lot of the companies in podcasting originate in the United States, and there are people outside the United States that have opinions on it. My co-host on Better Podcasting, Stephen, is from Canada, and he definitely has opinions about that. One of the podcast media hosts that are big in the industry right now, Captivate, is actually homed in the UK. And I know uh, Wushka was Australia, or still is in Australia. So there are bastions of podcasting and the podcast infrastructure that are outside the United States. Podcasting is truly global. If you have an RSS feed, anybody that can get to the RSS feed can subscribe to it. There are gatekeepers. Some countries, once your show goes explicit, will prevent those shows from being distributed. 
into those countries. I forget the list of countries, but like India is one of them. And India is literally the biggest populated country in the United, in, in the world. I was going to say the United States in the world. So you automatically cut off your ability to distribute there through some of the main distributors like Apple podcasts. It's like 70% of people get their podcasts through Apple, either directly or through where they're sending off to. So if you cut that off, then you're cutting off distribution to a lot of the world. Is that bad? It really depends. I mean, a lot of people in India, in India do not listen to English speaking podcasts anyway. So like, does it matter? I think it does a little bit, but it depends on how big your show is. I mean, if you're trying to get the widest possible audience, you have to do that sort of stuff. And as far as being worldwide, you still, it's not just the United States. You have to worry about other things like the privacy laws in Europe you have to worry about, or the industry is worried about. So they, they comply to those regulations in order to stay in business. I mean, there's also good things about it, like the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, I believe it's called DMCA. It protects people's rights to their work, like music. And uh, if you're blatantly reproducing them and, and throwing them out, like in your podcast, then your podcast media host company will be issued a takedown notice and the episode's gone. So there are good things because you're protecting the rights to the music right holders in that. Mostly it's big companies, but still there's some small independent stuff in there too. So there's good parts and bad parts about it. The statistic you said about 70% of people get their podcasts from Apple is staggering because I thought it was Spotify because that is my go-to app. I do not use iTunes. I do not use Apple Podcasts. I am well aware that Apple Podcasts was, I think, the first really big app to allow for star reviews and like worded reviews, which has its pros and cons. I would argue it has more pros than it has cons. Spotify now has that, but I listen to a lot of really popular podcasts and I don't know how to read reviews. Maybe the reviews are only visible by the podcast host, which I'm sure also has its pros and cons. There are some podcast directories out there, like websites, newsletters, apps, where it's kind of like a social media, but for finding new podcasts. And I have mixed feelings about those directories because a lot of times they'll be like, oh, we, for now, we're only going to feature Apple podcasts on our app. And it's like, well, when are you going to branch out like Spotify, Deezer, Stitcher? And they're like, we don't know yet. And I can't speak for them. I don't know how difficult it is to add more to your platform, but I do feel like we are in such a technologically advanced age i feel like if you wanted to if you wanted to create an app to help people find other podcasts then i feel like we have the technology to feature more than just podcasts on apple it's kind of like how when you go buy a car at a car dealership and it's like okay well 
I bank with this banking institution. And then the car dealership is like, oh, no, 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 no. To pay back this loan, you can only deposit checks at this specific bank. And it's like, but it's all just money, right? Why can't we just use this other really big platform? Why do I have to go to this bank that I don't use? But I feel like it's the same thing for these podcast directories. Well, interesting that you bring that up. Podcasting is still a completely open platform. If you have an RSS feed, anybody can pick it up. The issue is who's consolidating it and then where are people listening? So the reason why there's 60 to 70%, I forget the exact exact percentage, there are podcast media hosts like Buzzsprout and Libsyn that publish monthly statistics and they're actually seeing the downloads. So that's where these numbers are coming from. And since they have 50 to 100,000 active podcasts on their platforms, it's statistically relevant, these statistics. So the reason why is because Apple has this API. And there's a lot of other apps that pull from it. Overcast, for instance, is a listening app that many use on iOS or on iPhones and iPads. And Overcast pulls from the Apple API. A lot of other things do as well. I want to say Pocket Cast does, and Pocket Cast is kind of the same thing as Overcast is over on the Android side. So I forget the exact number, but there's like dozens of apps, listening apps that actually pull from the Apple Podcast API. So once your show is listed in Apple, not only can people listen to it on the normal Apple infrastructure, but they can also listen to it in their app of choice that actually pulls from there. So that's why they're so big. Spotify is a big number two right now. And as a big number two, you're talking maybe 12%. I forget the exact percentage, somewhere between eight and 12%. That's how big it is. And then you get into stuff like Google Podcasts. Google Podcasts, I don't know if that's going to continue because Alphabet is the big company. For those that don't know, Alphabet owns Google and YouTube, whatever. So that's why I say Alphabet. But who knows how long Alphabet sticks with anything these days? They have pulled podcasting apps before. Google Play Music Podcasts was a thing, but they pulled that a couple of years ago. And they created this thing called Google Podcasts, which Use the Google search algorithm to go out and actually pull RSS feeds from podcasting websites. And that's how they populate it. You actually don't have to submit your RSS to Google Podcasts. You can, but you don't have to. And it pulls. The detriment there is it might pull the wrong RSS feed. Some people have multiple RSS feeds for a lot of different reasons. And sometimes it'll pull the wrong thing. So you have to go in and try to get that fixed and stuff. And sometimes the wrong RSS feed won't have all your episodes in it. So there are detriments to using other ways to distribute podcasts rather than the uh, Apple podcast, but there are directories out there. Amazon, you can apply to have your podcast on Amazon. If you're not in what used to be called Anchor, what is now Spotify for podcasters, I believe, then you're automatically in Spotify. But if you're not, then you need to apply to have your show on Spotify. So it gets to be a question of where are people listening and where is most important to distribute my show to. And I will say that those are the four that I would make sure that my podcast is in. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, if you can get in there. And um, uh, Spot- Spotify, yeah, Spotify, Google, Spotify, 
and Amazon Music, in addition to Apple. There are others. There's Stitcher, there's iHeartRadio, there's TuneIn, lots of other places. But those are the big four. You might even think Pandora would be up there. It's not. Pandora is pretty exclusive, first of all. And second of all, they really don't have, they're not noted for their podcast listenership there. So that is why Apple Podcasts is so big. But you raise a concern of these companies having a lot of say. Yes, they do. We've talked about it lots of times on Better Podcasting because we're talking about the hobby podcaster here. It's really not ingrained in the industry and needs to depend on the industry to be able to get their shows out. So one big thing that we've been paying attention to for years is if these companies make a change, like, okay, in order to have your podcast RSS feed in the Apple Music Direct or the Apple Podcast Directory, you need to pay us $10 a year. Well, that starts to add up over time and that subscription starts to be, oh, $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever, because we know that's where your listeners are coming from. It could be a moneymaker. But the reason that I haven't done that, I think, is that you could just then go to another distribution source and get your RSS feed there. That's, again, the beauty of podcasting. And you're talking about censorship earlier. The RSS feed, if you can get to it, doesn't matter if you've been delisted other places or deplatformed other places, as long as you can host your media somewhere and then get that RSS feed to somebody, they can actually put that RSS feed into a player and then get the podcast. It's more cumbersome. You don't get into any algorithm to advertise it, but it's possible to podcast that way. There are some websites where I was genuinely surprised that they had a podcasting section. So to acknowledge what you said, yes, you need your podcast on Apple Podcasts in order to be on other apps like CastBox. But for some strange reason, I am not on Apple Podcasts, but I am on CastBox. I don't know how it happened, but good for me, I guess. And so, um, yeah. It's still an infrastructure issue, right? Where you have to depend on these other companies in order to promote would be a bad word, I guess. Uh, Definitely get in the algorithm. Discoverability was a big term in podcasting for a long time. It's not really that anymore, but discoverability is out there like, okay, so I have my podcast in all these places. I get them on social media, I promote, but yet nobody can find my show. There's a discoverability problem in podcasting. I don't think so anymore, especially if you do everything that you're supposed to with SEO or search engine optimization. But I mean, algorithms will always default to whoever's getting the most redirects, the plays, that sort of thing. So if you have two exact same podcasts uh, hosted by very similar people that are talking about the same thing, and one just happens to catch on, catch that lucky break with the algorithm, and then it just builds on each other over time, over time. Podcast over here, let's just call it Podcast A. Podcast A stays at like 100 downloads per episode. Podcast B keeps on ratcheting up into the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and then gets the big deals with companies like Spotify or whatever. So yeah, it's, it is that algorithm that you're trying to get into. So there is some luck and then some decisions in the algorithm that if you're lucky, you'll be able to take advantage of. Ah, uh, yes, the algorithm. But I remember what I was saying earlier. So there are some places where I just did not expect the website 
to have a podcast section, like, are you familiar with Substack? Yes. Okay. Well, for all the listeners who don't know, chances are you are familiar with Medium, which is a kind of like a blog website where anyone can really upload their own writing. Substack is like the lesser known little sister of Medium. And you can upload your RSS feed to Substack. I am a frequent writer on Substack. And I highly doubt anyone is using Substack to listen to podcasts. But if there is a listener out there who finds podcasts through Substack, I would love to hear how you came to that. There's actually, it's not really talked about all that much. So I don't know percentage wise how many, but there are people that do distribute a paid for podcast through Substack because you can actually subscribe to a Substack list right so that's how people sometimes get around distributing their podcast for money is they use it via a third party like substack or patreon or whatever where it's rss feed that's limited distribution but it doesn't have to be paid for you can open it up for anybody and that could be an easy way for people to go ahead and listen to your podcast and i believe i have not used subset significantly i'm subscribed to a few blogs but I think there's a way that you can give back money through that, even if they're not subscribed. I could be mistaken about that. Thank you for bringing up Patreon, because I've been using Patreon for years, and there's no Explore page. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no Explore page. The only way that people can find your Patreon link is if you promote it through other avenues, right? Like most people found out about Patreon through YouTube. And so a lot of YouTubers use it. A lot of podcast hosts use it. And Patreon is kind of like OnlyFans in that they don't have an explore page. And the people who are running the ship, they know that their platform is already so popular and that so many people are going to do the promotion for them. So they're probably like, well, why should we invest so much into creating an explore page when? Other people are going to do that labor for us. I know there's a search function, but there's no explore page. I was looking for somebody that I know, and I was thinking maybe they had a Patreon just the other day, and I had to go into the search function, and the search function is not all that great. Like You could type in the creator's name and their Patreon, depending on how they've spelled it or phrased it on Patreon, it doesn't show up. So it's not all that great. You're right. But it does exist, and if you try hard enough, you can find something. But there's no, like, okay, who are the top 10 patrons, Patreons, uh, whatever? Who's the top 10 accounts in this area? And you don't really see that or get that or whatever. And they might have done that deliberately because they don't want to favor one creator over another. I don't know. They might not want to put resources into it. That's a great question. I need to... Look into that and find out more answers about why. I know that there's people in the business that have their issues with Patreon, but I have not had a Patreon, so I haven't delved into it yet. So I see a lot of pros and cons with these giant companies like Patreon and Squadcast, either choosing to promote their creators or not promoting their creators. So I know you're using StreamYard, but... Are you familiar with Squadcast? Yeah. 
I'm familiar with Squadcast. As a matter of fact, I've used them. Okay. I just looked at the Twitter page for StreamYard and the Twitter page for Squadcast. And hopefully they don't do like mass deletions or whatever. But StreamYard is mainly just promoting themselves. Whereas Squadcast, which I'm going to be frank, I think is less pitchy, less glitchy. They're using their Twitter to promote their creators, which is great. But I remember emailing you a while ago. I was saying how these companies are morally obligated to only promote the good podcasts. I know, I know good is such a subjective thing, but like with Facebook and YouTube, I'm pretty sure those CEOs have been put on trial at the Supreme Court or in uh, Congress, or I (laughs) I should know this, but I know that they've been in a lot of hot water because websites like YouTube and Facebook, they are guilty of promoting a lot of dangerous ideologies. And I'm stumbling as I'm saying this because I don't want anyone listening to this to be like, ooh, what is this person talking about? I've never heard this about YouTube and Facebook before. And then go down the rabbit hole because I know how these social media networks work. When you start interacting with the, you know, the neo-fascist accounts, then you're only shown those neo-fascist accounts. And when I was around 15, I was definitely following a bunch of those really cringy red pill white men on YouTube. Thankfully, I don't do that anymore, but I didn't have anyone to pull me aside and be like, hey, stop consuming this kind of media. It's dangerous. And here's why. I think nowadays on YouTube, there's a lot of praise for people who criticize these kind of digital problems. And I'm very grateful for that because things don't just stay on the internet. The stuff that happens on the internet will affect your real life. And these podcast companies like Squadcast and StreamYard, they're not technically like, you know, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, but they're related to podcasts enough that I believe they're morally obligated to only promote good content. Well, then you get into a question of what exactly is good content and what's not good content. I know that I've had discussions specifically with Captivate and I've heard enough from Libsyn, just two companies, to know that they will not censor, I believe is the correct word. I was searching for the right word. They will not censor podcasts unless it's a legal activity. Like it's actually a legal activity. So unless it crosses a legal line somewhere, they will allow it to go. And Lipson has been throughout the years, very proactive in that. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to Daniel, I believe this is his name from Captivate. It's one of the co-founders of Captivate. He said, yeah, we don't pull any podcasts. And I actually pushed the issue and I said, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but I pushed the issue and I was asking him from a variety of different angles. Yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And he said, look, here's our website. Go ahead and read it. Here's our terms of service. We do not pull podcasts that 
are basically are not illegal. So there are companies out there that encourage distribution of information as long as it's not illegal. I know that there are other companies like that have algorithms that depend on you being on their site, their app, and continuing on their app, social media like TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, that try to keep you on there and then are in the algorithm. But that's the good thing about podcasting is that you can get outside that. And I realize that's the threat that podcasting is the last bastion of freedom out there on the internet. But, and with good comes bad podcast movement this past year actually had a lot of controversy around it because of this on both sides of the fence. If you're talking about United States political ideology, but podcasting is, is ubiquitous and doesn't matter which side you're on. You can be out there promotion and the algorithm. Those are two different things. Wow. That was so poignant. When you talk about legality, that's just so murky. So most U.S. legislations are written so vaguely, and I, I see the pros and cons of writing laws vaguely, but the thing is, what if someone talks about illegal stuff that's illegal in their country? What's going to happen then? And what if someone is in the United States, or maybe not the United States, uh, what if someone is talking about drinking alcohol when they're 18 because they live in Canada or Mexico or something? Is the United States going to be like, okay, well, that's technically illegal here. You have to be 21. So then we got to think about the whole, like, well, it's legal here, but then it's illegal there. And then, like, there are so many different types of legislation models. Like, you have things that are criminalized. You have things that are legalized. You have things that are partially criminalized. And so we get into really, really murky waters when we... When we say things like, okay, we're going to allow this because it's legal, or we're going to disallow this because it's illegal. Yeah. And that's the constraints that these companies have to operate under. So I have not heard of a podcast in Canada that is talking about drinking at 18 being banned in the United States. It might have happened. I don't know. But I don't have any other examples off the top of my head about podcasts being banned. That's actually a deeper discussion than I usually get into when talking about hobby podcasting. But when you're talking about um, things like protesting in different countries from the freedom of speech standpoint, freedom of speech is dependent upon the legalities of the country that you're in. And I don't know off the top of my head how podcast companies handle that. But I know that in order to stay on a company, you have to stay within their terms of service because they're a company. And uh, you have the right to create your own company in your own terms of service. And as long as it's legal in the country that your company is in, then you can go ahead and, and keep operating. You know, it's the way of the world. It's not a bastion for all freedom everywhere. Anyway, would you like to talk about something else? Like maybe how you've improved your podcast since you started? That's a very good question. So I used to not be that interested in creating social media pages for my podcast. It was just podcast and Patreon. That was it. And you don't get that much reach when you do that. And so I got into the habit of literally posting on numerous social media pages for my podcast every single day. It's gotten to the point where I pay 
for this one software that just schedules social media posts for me. So I don't need to do it manually. And since I started really perfecting social media promotion for my podcasts, I've been taking a break from the podcasts. But taking hiatuses is good. I know a lot of people are like, if you want to be successful podcast host, you need to upload on the same day of the week, at the same hour, every single week for the rest of your life. And I frankly don't think that's healthy. And, and I know that some people, they'll like do batches, like they'll film a hundred interviews in one month and just space it out. I personally could not do that. I think it's good to take breaks and I don't really have a formal, like, this is my season one, this is my season two, this is season three of my podcast. I prefer to organize it by, this is what I was like year one, this is what I was like year two, this is what I was like year three. And yeah, some years, there's like two episodes uploaded, and then there are other years where I uploaded way more than two, and that's fine. And especially if you're a hobby podcaster, so you're not doing this as a way to make a living. So when you take breaks, then you can reflect on what needs improvement, what you don't need to do anymore. We live in such a hyper-capitalist society where it's like work, 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 work. But when you're working all the time, you have less time to think. And if you have less time to think, are you really going to evolve? as a podcast host, like my early days. Oh gosh, I cringe. I, I think most people cringe at their earliest podcast episodes. Sometimes I listen to other podcasts and I'll like listen to the first couple of episodes and I think this is amazing. I want to like rave about it on social media, but then I'm like, oh, but the podcast host, they'll be like, when they see this, they'll be all, they'll feel like a knife was just stabbed through their chest because you know, you didn't have the greatest quality of microphone or you were really bad at editing or it, it just sounds choppy or, or like the quality is inconsistent. And so like, because we're such perfectionists, since we're such hyper-capitalists, it really affects us artists. Like I want to publicly praise the early works of other podcast hosts, but I'm hesitant because I'm like, oh, they're going to cringe or, oh, whoever they were interviewing at the time probably does not want to be reminded of this interview. And so I, I mean, that's happened with me. Like, what was it? Episode two of my podcast, I interviewed someone and she changed her stage name. And I was like, oh no, this is the only person I've ever interviewed on my podcast. Does this mean that I need to delete the entire thing? Because she changed her stage name, but she was like, no, it's fine. You can keep the interview episode. In fact, you can just keep the title exactly how it is. You don't need to change it to my new stage name. It's fine. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being understanding. And when I started my podcast, I thought I was going to do what I would say most podcast hosts do. I thought every single episode would be, would be an interview of a different person but it definitely did not follow that trajectory. It's 
now it's mostly me talking solo. And now it's mostly me researching what my industry is like in other countries. And I'm having so much fun. Like in the beginning, I would do little to no preparation for my podcast episodes. Now it takes me weeks of research to make one episode. And that's just like the recording part. We got to talk. <laughs> oh, editing is a whole nother story. But even though it's taking me much longer to make one episode of my podcast, I'm a lot happier now. And if I never took breaks throughout my podcasting career, I don't think I ever would have ended up where I am today. We're finding more and more people that we're talking to actually agree with what we've transitioned to in better podcasting, which is seasons, taking breaks, hiatus. We had to take a big hiatus for uh, some personal reasons back in 2021. And then we came back in late 2022. And uh, it was difficult because it dealt with a loss of a family member for Stephen. And we were able to come back. But definitely we were in the mode anyway of we took a hiatus before that happened. And we we're like, okay, we need to take a couple months off. We'll come back. And it just turned into a longer one to deal with some personal issues. But eventually we're in seasons and we do publish better podcasting every week. But that is to get into somebody's routine. We have switched formats. We have switched shows back and forth between the better podcasting main show, which is largely a scripted show or at least a produced show to better podcasting live chat, which is just us talking off the cuff to each other and being live and real. There's an audience for both shows, but it allows us to be more freeform and then collect our thoughts and then take some time off and then come back at the theme for the next season. Totally agree with you. And yes, you need to take time off. Matter of fact, this year, the big thing that we're talking about is taking more time off during the holidays. Simply because we both realize that we're both really busy over the holidays and that for me personally, I get backed up in my editing this year. I didn't get all the shows that were recorded in December out until I believe late January or early February. And some of them were holiday themed. So it's like, oh, missed the boat on that one. But yeah, I, we believe very much in taking some time off. I was going to ask you about it since your last episode, I believe, was published in November of 2022, if you were planning on coming back. I was literally just recording audio for an upcoming episode before we started this. And so in my most recent published episode, I believe I said my next episode would be on professional cuddling in Singapore. I'm putting that on the back burner because yesterday I was just on a roll researching what the cuddle industry is like in the Caribbean. And so far, I've only done Pacific Island and Asian countries. I have not touched Latin America whatsoever, but the Caribbean has such a beautiful culture, so I had to. Yeah, I watch a lot of sailing YouTube channels, so I see a lot of the Caribbean. It's like the sailing capital of the world. Around there. The Med is secondary, and then I believe like the South Pacific with like Fiji area and Tonga is up there too, but it's more dispersed, so the Caribbean is really far up there. But before we recorded, you said you wanted to talk about research. Is there any specific thing you want to talk about research? Okay. So as a professional cuddler, I, I see a lot of cuddle clients. And my most recent one 
told me that he was listening to my podcast and he asked me to do an episode on how I research. And I'm like, so meta. I love it. And so, unfortunately, whenever I research my line of work in other countries, I tend to not find that much stuff. Like, I was, okay, I found only one professional cuddler in all of Mexico. She's in Mexico City, by the way. And that makes me sad because Mexico is what? The 10th most populous country in the world. And so I'm not going to do like a, like a four minute long podcast episode. And so I, I don't want to say I fluff my podcast, but I not only, okay, so even if I found a ton of information about the cuddle industry in a particular region, I would still want to include a lot of information about that region as a whole. Because a lot of us, we weren't taught <laughs> world geography. Um, even if we were taught world geography, we probably don't remember it that much because a lot of us are taught that it's not as important as other subjects like technology and engineering and, I don't know, chemistry and physics. Which makes me really sad because I want to become a history teacher. I mean, I'm, I'm still probably going to make podcast episodes on the side, but I'm really passionate about history and geography. So like, I, would, I could not do an episode, for example, on Thailand justice if I don't acknowledge how influential Buddhism is over there. I did an episode on what the professional cuddling industry is like in the Pacific. And I interviewed someone I know who is a Pacific Islander. Like he spent the first 18 years of his life in Guam. And I like, I wish I could interview someone from each, you know, respective region for every episode I make about the cuddle industry in a foreign country. But Sadly, I don't have the resources for that. And so I, I, I do my best to do justice for the countries I cover. And, and oh my gosh, my, my research process, my methodology, is, it's, it's silly. Because like, I just Googled Mexico, cuddle. And then I'm like, okay, here's some Etsy pages. Okay, here's some Amazon links. Okay. Oh. There's a news article that's not really relevant to Mexico. So that's my research process for my podcast in a nutshell. I don't find that much related to professional cuddling, even though that's the bread and butter of my podcast. But thankfully, I've been getting emails from people saying, Thank you so much for making this podcast. I'm learning so much. And I have a decent audience that has absolutely no affiliation with the business I'm in, but they're like, I still tune in to your podcast because it's that captivating. And it's just like in almost every genre of art, whether it's music or writing or podcasting, people are like, you need to have a target audience. You need to know who your target audience is. And it's like, I know who I want to listen to my podcast. I want 
professional cuddlers to listen to it. I want cuddle clients to listen to it. But I think ignoring audiences who may be interested is not a good thing to do, whether you're a hobby podcaster or if you're doing this to make a living. Yeah, I've heard stories of people starting their podcasts with one goal and then getting an audience in another direction, and they were fine going in that direction, and they started the whole show about it and were able to actually quit their jobs and go full-time with it. If if that's something that you want to do, I mean, you kind of have to follow the train as it goes, and as long as you're having fun, which is a big thing with us in podcasting, no matter if you're doing a hobby podcast, definitely if you're doing a hobby podcast, but even if you're doing a business podcast, it's got to be fun for you. Otherwise it gets to be too much work. And even though it is your job, you might want to quit and pivot to something else that is easier, more fun. Uh, you're excited about it, that sort of stuff. That's why I asked you a question. What excites you about podcasting? What inspired you to start podcasting at the start? Because want to get a sense of where you are with that. But let me ask you this. If you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier to start podcasting before you started podcasting, you know, go, go way back a few years before you started your podcast, what would that one piece of advice be to tell yourself? You might find this surprising, but Pro Cuddle Hustle is not the first podcast idea I've ever had. So when I was around 17 and 18, I had an idea for a podcast that really was not that original, but I was like, I'm going to make this happen. I told my former friends that I was going to interview them for my podcast. And young me bought some equipment on Amazon. And okay, it wasn't that much money. It was like 40 bucks. But to broke college freshman 18-year-old me, that was a ton of money. And I had an Apple laptop at the time. I did not have a PC, but apparently the microphones that I bought were not compatible with Apple. And so I wasted money when I was broke and I tried to return it, but trying to return things that you bought on Amazon is a nightmare. I don't want, okay, hands down, no arguments. Just returning products you bought in general is a nightmare. And I've experimented with using computer mics and I've used my cell phone microphone. And I hate to say this, but I have an iPhone 10. It was released just a couple of years ago, but nowadays that's considered a long time ago. But the microphone on my cell phone is pretty, pretty crisp quality when you compare it to the other equipment I've tried using in the past. So it depends on the type of equipment that you're using. If you're using a condenser microphone, which I'm just guessing you probably were because of the cost and everything associated with it, I could see there being uh, an issue with the sound and also uh, how you use it, what kind of an, a type of room that you're using it and that sort of stuff. But uh, there are smarter ways to go about things. The iPhone is a decent microphone. And definitely, I don't want to generalize, but I'm going to say this just based off experience. Generally, for me, the female voice is more forgiving on microphones due to the frequencies involved. And they tend to sound better on things like a microphone off of an iPhone 
and it tends to be okay. Now, definitely, like if you're using it right now, I can tell that you have reverb from the the room you're in. I could hear traffic in the background as it's going by from time to time. Sounds like there's an open window in there. So I can tell all that. Now, can I tell that with a dynamic microphone? Some of it, yeah, it would be mitigated a little bit. So if you use like a Samsung Q2U and you're able to do pipe that into your iPhone, which some applications you can, some applications you can't, it might make it a little bit better. But basically for a hobby podcaster, generally we say go with what works and you can improve it as time goes on. Okay. I am using my laptop microphone and it's a PC. So it feels bizarre for me to say, oh, you don't need to use the expensive products. You can use the cheaper products. You can use your cell phone. But then again, iPhones, they're not cheap. We're speaking on the assumption that whoever is listening, they own a smartphone and that, okay, I can't really speak for other smartphones because I've been using Apple phones for a very, very long time. But I don't want to say it's okay to use the cheaper products, but I do want to say if you already own products like a cell phone that comes with a microphone, you can use that. Yep, uh, absolutely. And I will counter just a little bit and say, if you're going to podcast, you got to have some, some way to do it. You have to have some way to record it. You have to some, have some way to edit it or produce it. You have to have some way to organize promotion, that sort of stuff. You need some sort of technology in order to podcast. You can't podcast without technology. So generally with young people, we just advocate starting with what you got, whether it's a laptop, a PC, a Mac, whatever. And then moving on from there, we do try to advocate buying some initial hardware. It's pretty cheap. I realize for some people it's beyond the expense, but like a Zoom PodTrack P4 and uh, $20 Behringer XM84 or 8500 microphone. That's generally the, the on the low end, and it works pretty well. Like I said, the Samsung Q2U, depending on what you plug it into, could you go well as well or do well as well. But if you just want to start and feel the need to start and don't mind that you might be competing with uh, other shows that sound a little bit better, then absolutely start with what you got and then work into it that yes that is fine and we agree with it and we do agree to try the basis of our show is to make your podcast better so of course we're going to talk about making it incrementally better but yeah if you if it's just the bar to start start the podcasts with higher quality audio chances are they probably have ads and not like oh, I'm a small business owner, please support me on Patreon and like support me on Ko-fi and buy me a coffee. I mean, okay, I, I listen to a lot of really popular podcasts. They're entertaining, but they are just riddled with ads. And at first I was like, okay, I'm fine with this because it's just the host whom I have a parasocial relationship with promoting this product. But then it's gotten to the point where it's like, at the beginning of every single episode, it's going to be, it sounds like the radio where it's like this pre-recorded voice of a complete stranger. That's like, Hey guys, have you ever heard about Walmart? <laughs> and then, you know, at the end of the episode, it's, you know, a, a very, very corporate sounding like, Hey y'all, have you ever heard about Coca-Cola? And 
it's gotten to the point where I'm like, man, I'm starting to miss when I would hear an advertisement during a podcast and it's just the host raving about the product. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I got rid of radio and even satellite radio, which I paid for, for that very reason. And also it didn't speak to the specific topics that I wanted to talk about. Now we have, this is 20 years later, well, 15 years later, we have the reverse effect where we have a lot of subjects being talked about and then we have a lot of ads and everything being talked about as well. I don't have any ads in my stuff. A lot of the people that have been on this show have not had any ads on their podcasts. So yeah, I wouldn't say it's every show and I think I've done pretty good in, in my sound and I don't have any ads. You can get close to studio sound for very little money. So the barrier to entry, as it's termed a lot, is really low cost with podcasts. And you can get really decent sound for not a lot of money. And you don't need to have ads. Heck, this is a hobby for me. This would be the same thing as me going bowling or me playing, I don't know, putt-putt every freaking weekend or whatever. This is something that I'm going to spend a little bit of money on. I have spent a little bit of money over a long period of time. So I've gotten some pretty decent equipment over that long period of time. But yeah, people do hobbies with very little. And and the gear these days is pretty good for doing just that. There is a small barrier to entry, but it's really, really small. So one thing that I wanted to ask you before we ended was what is one of the favorite moments from your show? You've been doing it for a while. You've been doing research in different countries. You've talked to some different people. What is a favorite moment from your show? Okay. This is not a moment. So I'm, I'm cheating a little bit, but, and I have to give a little backstory. So in April of 2022, my boyfriend and I caught COVID and we were just stuck in the house for two weeks. and. Yes, we watched a lot of TV, but another thing that we did a lot was we recorded so, so many audio files for my Patreon. And I really, like, I don't cherish getting COVID, but I really cherish how, in a way, COVID brought me and my boyfriend together. And, you know, we were super close beforehand. We're still super close now, but the dynamic we had then, it was just contained in its own little like microcosm so the first two days i had covid of course i was like oh no how am i going to survive the next 12 days but the more i recorded audio files with him i was like you know what i'm gonna be okay and i caught covid the second time so in february of this year i caught covid for some strange reason the people i came in contact to always tested negative So it was just really me on my own. And oh my gosh, that was so lonely. I mean, I technically could still have recorded podcast episodes with other people, but they weren't like COVID positive people who also had to abstain from working for two weeks. Yeah. So you accredit it as for getting it through the audio, at least getting it through those tough times. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, I've kept you for over an hour. As we record this, I don't want to, I want to be respectful of your time. So is there anything else that you want to say before we start to get out? I am looking forward to seeing how this industry involves. I think what you're doing is very important and I hope a lot of people listen 
to this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. We try to help as many people as we can. All right. So thank you very much for joining me for this chat. I really appreciate your time. Where's the best place that our Better Podcasting audience can find your work? My podcast is called Pro Cut a Hustle Podcast. I do have a link tree where I list every single platform where you could listen. There's Pro Cut a Hustle is on over 10 different platforms like Spreaker and Stitcher, Buzzsprout, Listen Notes. But wherever you can leave a review, please leave a review. Since I don't think anyone has ever left me a review before, I don't know if I'll get an email notification, but I would greatly appreciate if if you were to give me a review for you to screenshot it, post it on your social media and tag me just to be extra secure, just to be extra safe that I'll be able to read it. And have you asked your audience to leave a review at the end of your show? I believe so. Okay. Because I really want to read reviews out. Like, it doesn't matter if it's one star or five star. I just want to read reviews of my show on my show. (laughs) The joke is that you're not a podcaster until you get a one star review. And yes, I've gotten a one star review. Well, why did it give you a one star? They're expecting something else. The show's not for them. All shows are not for everybody. So I'm pandering to the audience that I want and somebody comes listen to the show and they, it's not what they like and they disagree or whatever. So they leave a low review. That is their right. And that's fine. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily making the podcast for you. So I wouldn't expect somebody that listens, that leaves a one star review to listen further. Basically. I mean, if you're doing that, you're just, I don't know, maybe a troll. I don't know. I don't know what to call somebody that listens after not liking a show. Honestly, a fan. Oh, well, okay. And I've left negative reviews for things before, but if I know that someone is just doing all the labor, like they're the writer, they're the editor, they're the filmmaker, yeah, and they don't have any other reviews, like I know how algorithms work. If I don't like something and they've never received a positive review before, I'm just not going to leave a negative review. It's just... It just seems like common sense to me. Yeah, Generally, on Better Podcasting, what we recommend if you're a podcaster and you want to give some feedback to make another show better or disagree with the show or whatever, that we generally say slip it to them in a non-public manner, like through an email or a DM or PM or something like that, rather than in a review that's public for everybody or on social media or something like that. I mean, I guess you can have a discussion on social media, but I mean, that's just common sense with life, in my opinion, but in this day and age, not everybody follows that. So maybe I'm the product of a bygone age being as old as I am. But the thing is, like with book reviews, so when you leave a negative review or just a a review for a book, that review is for other readers. It's not for the author because the author cannot, well, I guess they can, but the author will not read your review and be like, okay, I'm going to change the manuscript to appease this person. Meanwhile, with a podcast, that stuff is ongoing. You could, you know, like the first two episodes of a podcast and then dislike the next 10. It's just like, it, it is a genre of art, but it is different from like movies and books where once it's done, like that's just how it was made. 
Unless you're George Lucas and you change everything. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, again, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And thank you for spending your time with Felicity and myself over the past hour. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the Better Podcasting YouTube channel and like the video. Or if you are listening to the audio version, give Better Podcasting Chats with SP a follow on your podcatcher app of choice. Stephen and I would greatly appreciate it. And as Felicity was just saying, if you leave a review, I'd appreciate that as well. So tomorrow night, Stephen and I will be recording episode 46 of the Better Podcasting Live Chat. For this show, Better Podcasting Chats with SP, next week I'm scheduled to chat with Julian Quickstad from the Psychology with My Wife podcast. Yes, it's a husband and wife psychology podcast. In the meantime, join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. See everybody next time. Bye.